every time I was able to get a loan, I was doing drugs. I've been to prison four times, twice in the state, twice in the feds. I was doing all this crazy stuff, cooking drugs and just staying high. God called me from a prison cell. I was a homeless drug addict, and my hope was found in a needle. pregnant, homeless, um, living out of my van. You know, it wasn't Freeway that saved me, it wasn't John Stroop that saved me, but God uses Freeway in such a mighty way as a tool to reach these people. There's not a community or a county in America that doesn't have a drug problem. And the, the church has the answer and it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Welcome to One Broken Life. Uh, my name is John Stroop. I'm with my my good friend Casey Merrick. Hello. And this is part two. Uh, we're exploring broken lives. What God can do uh, with one surrendered person. I'm I'm excited to to continue part two. Uh, you know, you hear about the negative impact that drugs, crime make on our community, but what you don't hear about is the positive impact one radically changed ex-drug addict or criminal can make what God can do. And, uh, you know, a lot of times when we go visit churches to preach and do evangelistic stuff, you know, I'm reminded to tell the crowd that I'm not here looking for the big move of God and thousand people on the altar, which would be awesome. But I'm looking for the one who's willing to get uncomfortable mm -hmm. and uh, surrender to the Lord. And so kind of the theme verse for the podcast is, is Psalm 57, 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken heart and a contrite spirit, you know. A broken heart and a contrite spirit, oh God, you will not despise. And um, and so we're here exploring Casey's One Broken Life. Um, and we just finished on, on those who, who've uh, listened to part one, maybe on Spotify or Apple or um, YouTube, uh, are with us now. Thanks for listening to the second half of this. And if you haven't heard part one, stop right now. And go back to part one and watch part one because you're not really going to understand everything we're going to talk about here. So we're talking about, you know, we left off on your wife, Jessica. Mm -hmm. uh, and so Jessica, who would be a great guest on the show, um, she she is, you know, comes from a, a background of abuse. Um, you, you meet her at Freeway. You go to uh, the leadership of the ministry as her father, right, Mike A., um, kind of her spiritual father, mm -hmm. and ask him and his wife, who actually took her in, uh, rescued her from a park bench, took her and her two kids in, moved their two kids in one bedroom, moved them, in, moved her in their house, and then uh, and helped her start her life over again. And finally, she pressed charges on this guy, mm -hmm. her husband, who had been abusing her forever. Mm -hmm beat her, go to prison, get her strung out on drugs, go to prison. She'd get her life together, get a car, get a job, get a place to live. He'd get out. He'd, he'd, he'd abuse her again, start using drugs. She'd start using drugs. And it just that cycle in her life was finally broken. And Mike A. and Julie A. were used, who were co-founders of the ministry. They were used to help break that cycle in her life. And so now you meet Jessica. Mm -hmm. You inherit two children. Layden and Alyssa, mm -hmm. who come from toxic 
uh, unhealthy family life. Like their idea of healthy is very unhealthy, right? Their normal is abuse, Mm -hmm. neglect, uh, mom in and out of trouble, psych wards. I mean, I know Jessica's past um, and seeing whatever they saw through their biological father, Brad. Um, And so now you take this family on. So how long do you know how long it had been from the moment, you know, around the time that Bladen and Alyssa started be having some consistent discipline mm-hmm. and structure in their life until you came into their life? Do you know about how long that was? How long of their life that they had not had consistent structure? No, they didn't, they hadn't had consistent structure right. ever. Mm-hmm. So now Jessica's living with Mike and Julia. Right. And then, and then you begin to court her, to marry mm-hmm. her. So from the moment that Brad, Bladen and Alyssa, you know, had that structure mm-hmm. in their life, and Jessica was learning how to be a parent, mm-hmm. right? Learning what discipline was like, learning all that. So now these two kids have this man come into their lives. Mm-hmm. Do you know about how long that, that it was? From the time that Mike was helping them to the time that I kind of entered in on yeah. the scene? Um, I would say it was probably about six months. Okay, so six months. Yeah, and I have a similar story. You know, Mm -hmm. my my wife brought two children in the scene. I brought a a child in the scene, and her uh, older son Chase, he was Mm thirteen, and it was about six months. You know, what we dated before we got married, Mm -hmm. Um, and so yeah, and so you you inherit these these kids, Mm -hmm. and then you get married. Yeah, and so now not only are you dating a woman for the first time in Christ. Mm-hmm. So you're not really dating, you're courting, right? Mm-hmm. Correct. You're courting her. You're, you're, and you guys did phenomenal. Like, you killed it, you know? You set a great example for me. You, you know, I was already married, but, I mean, just the example you guys set is phenomenal. Um, so you guys explain, let's just talk a little bit about that courtship, mm-hmm. how you courted her and how that worked. Yeah. Well, I think the just the one, uh, two things that I had going for me. One was just a, a healthy distrust of myself for the first time in my life. I think that was key, and then just a lot of good support. You mentioned in the last segment just how um, you had to get my business about some stuff that on the surface we felt like um, was okay, but um, but you know just about spending time together um, whenever we had the kids before we were going into the treatment center she would come into my apartment and we would just grab a quick bite to eat and then um, we had another friend that would watch the kids while we would go in and visit with the the residents and um at the treatment center and um and you just brought it to my attention that you know it needed to be we shouldn't trust the way we see the situation but how could it look from somebody else looking in and if and if we were doing something that could be questionable on any level and it could be misconstrued, we would be spending a lot of our time trying to defend ourselves for something we didn't do, whereas we could just take another step away from the boundary and just another step towards obedience and protect, save ourselves from all that trouble. And so just, you know, learning to accept that, and, you know, as you said, I didn't really appreciate that advice at the time, but um, I prayed on it, I thought about it, and I did come back and thank you for that because you were, you were wanting us to be successful. And just surrounding myself with men that could see it more clearly than I was and asking, you know, for the first time in my life, begin asking, you know, how things look and, and how they are and just not trusting myself. It's a big thing. We, we knew um, we 
knew what would happen if we crossed the boundary, so we really tried to step away from the boundary. And, and, and I mean, we went to the extreme, right, where we didn't have any physical contact for 40 days when we first started courting um, because I didn't want it to get out of hand. And I actually really wanted to learn to fill in the awkward moments with words instead of touching or, you know, trying to relieve the awkwardness by just um, some kind of emotion, you know, driven impulse. And so I think we really learned to read each other and communicate as a result of that commitment. Yeah. yeah. And so you get married, mm-hmm. right? You have a wedding, and now you're together. Mm-hmm. You have a blended family. Yes. Which is very, very difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, not only do you have a blended family, but you have a blended family. Two toxic past collide. Yeah. So now you're how old were Blaine and Alyssa? Uh, I believe five and six. Five and six. Mm-hmm. And so not only, so you're married, you're going to church, but now you've got, so just what was that like um, trying to love these kids? Mm -hmm. They're not your children biologically. Mm -hmm. They have this idea of who their dad is. And, and then you, you you know, you got the, you got, not only do you have in-laws, but you have two sets of in-laws because you've got their biological dad's parents, grandparents, their grandparents. And then you've got Jessica's, parents mm-hmm. so what was that like well i would probably compare it to like a taliban training camp <laughs> <laughs> if you've ever been to one of those not not this week not this okay well, i've watched them on tv they're pretty <laughs> intense well it's it's even more real than that it was i was in way over my head i had no idea um what i was getting into I think Jessica was really gracious towards me through the process because, you know, when I really kind of looked at what it was going to look like, she said, you know, you don't have to rush into anything. You don't have to commit to anything you haven't committed to. And if this is too much for you, just, you know, it's okay. And she gave me the freedom to kind of step away and, and turn that situation back over to God and just see what he had for me. And then I just kind of came to the point where I knew that that was his will for me. And by her doing that, as we were going into the marriage, I think that freed me up to make up my mind that this is something that I was going to commit to, you know, regardless of what it looked like. And I needed that going into it because um, it was overwhelming. You know, I remember holding Alyssa one night for, for hours and she would um, say that she wanted to shoot me, you know, just repeating basically stuff that, you know, she heard her parents say and that she had a gun and and I just held her and I didn't know what else to do other than just hold her and pray. And I, I said, Alyssa, what works? You know, what is working about this? And she said, nothing works and finally passed out. And I think that was kind of a breakthrough moment for us because um, I think I just kind of, I told her, you know, before she did kind of pass out, you know, not because I was squeezing her because she was just exhausted herself that um, I wasn't going anywhere, that I wasn't going anywhere. No matter how hard this was, I was going to be there, you know, and, and so we still struggle, you know. Um, I think that her parents, you know, you asked, were, were accepting of me. I think they were glad for, um, you know, the, the, the life that we were living. Um, but my daughters from my first marriage were not accepting of it. Uh, they were angry because their dad's finally doing well, but he's not doing well with them. He's doing well somewhere else with a different family. So they felt completely rejected and hurt. Um, her kids were not accepting of me, <laughs> you know. They would um, love their mom and and um, and Alyssa's still brokenhearted about her dad today. She's not able to be a part of his life because of decisions that he's made. You mentioned that he was coming after, you know, came to Freeway with a gun last segment, and um, he was coming to do harm. And that's still his mindset today, you know. And we've told him that if he would 
you know, do well for a certain amount of time, then we will begin working them into a relationship with him. And so I can't expect Alyssa to understand that at this point in her life. I can just convince her that, you know, we're, we're seeking, you know, God's guidance and counsel in this, and we're also protecting her and just praying that she can trust us to do that. So there's just so many levels of just hurt, mistrust, brokenness that just comes out in all the wrong ways that you can't expect. You know, you're, you're doing everything you know to do that's right, but there's all this brokenness from the past, all these bad seeds that have been planted that are just sprouting and coming up that you just have to deal with them, just not stop. Right. And so you've, you know, and you say that about Alyssa, and I remember the last time her biological father got out, um, you know, we put an alarm system on your house mm -hmm. uh, because of, you know, him. And she was not excited that he would show up and see her, even though she has probably a fantasy mm -hmm. of this father figure. But she was scared mm -hmm. of him, even though she had not seen him in so long that mm -hmm. we know of. But she was scared that he might show up. Yeah. So it's wild that she would, you know, want to be involved, even though when she thinks about him, she's scared. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just that twisted view of parenting. Right. your father and every little girl wants her daddy i mean that's just part of it so you've got this blended family uh you've got these two kids at home then you've got these two daughters mm -hmm. who are from your past who are now traveling down your same steps right so, so let's kind of venture through that just a little bit so you're in the church you're serving you're involved you're plugged in you're surrounded by godly people jessica's surrounded by godly people blade and Alyssa are making good Christian friends, mm -hmm. you know, the kids they go, they're hanging out with, they're all from church. I mean, they're, they're at church when the doors are open. And then um, your two daughters come back into the scene. Yeah. Yeah, so that was um, just probably a year and a half of just steady prayer, you know, praying that God would open a door for my daughters to be a part of our life here. Um, said earlier, I, I couldn't go back to be a part of the lives where they were at. And when the life that they were living in there was my wife had remarried and a man that was a lot like me in my past and um, abusive, um, drug addict. Um, so I knew what they were going through daily and it, and it tore me up, but I knew I had to continue in what I was doing here. I knew I had to establish a foundation here and, and trust that God would allow them to be a part of it. And so there was people that were praying for my daughter for a year plus that um, had never met them, but then they did meet them. My daughters came here as a result of a altercation that happened with her mom and her and her husband at the time and um and we were just shouting hallelujah you know we were just celebrating all these prayers answered and it was a wonderful thing people that had been praying for them finally got to meet them you know and hug them and love them and it just it opened up their eyes that there was a different world a, a, a kind of people that you didn't have to do anything for them for them to love you and to um, care about you and want what was best for you and to pray for you and, and it was an eye-opener for them. But at the same time, the life that we were living was so drastically different from the life that they were used to that it was a culture shock for them. And it was, um, I think it was more than they could really prepare themselves for. Yeah, and so, you know, you're excited. Jessica, to add, has just been a trooper. Mm. Like, she yeah. is, she's just been willing to go the extra mile to try to help with your you know, your biological children. Um, yeah. And so Sarah and Hannah come move in with you, right? Yeah. 
and so let's kind of just not fast forwarding too much, but let's kind of talk through your, your okay, so you're, you're, you're married, you're involved in ministry, you're, you're, you're involved at church, you're serving. And then, uh, you, you know, I remember uh, asking you to preach a sermon. Mm-hmm. And I would ask you to preach, and you would, uh, y- you know, you would, let's talk, let's just kind of let you explain that. So uh, I felt like you had a calling on your life, mm-hmm. and I seen a calling on your life. And so I would, I would ask you to get a 10-minute, 15-minute, you know, message together. Right. So let's talk about that a little bit. You're, you're venturing into ministry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we'd have our Thursday night prayer groups. We had Wednesday night after church service. Um, the ministry was growing, and we were meeting together more often, Friday night freeway, yeah. Saturday night freeway, and um, Sunday school. And so I had a few speaking engagements, you know, um, lessons prepared for Sunday school and uh, Thursday night. And, um, and, and God was just, you know, revealing stuff to me and, and, and just getting opportunities to share it. And, um, and, <laughs> and then you asked me to share it at a freeway service, and I was, um, it was a flat-out no. You know, <laughs> I was like, God didn't call me to preach, you know. Um, it's not what I'm supposed to do, you know, and I was just terrified of the thought. And um and so yeah I just rejected it yeah but I don't I don't know if you remember there were times that before you rejected it mm-hmm. to where you would go speak and you would get sick oh and, yeah and uh, lock yourself in your apartment and mm-hmm. not eat yeah. and just overwhelmed with anxiety yeah and uh, there was a time when you came to me and you got mad at me and you said why do you keep asking me to do this mm-hmm. no. Quit asking me to preach. I'm not called to be a preacher. Right. And I said, fine. You know, and I, I felt bad. I'm like, man, I'm, you know, causing this guy serious anxiety mm-hmm. and stress. And yeah. he's grumpy at work now, they say. You know, he won't eat, you know, because he's got to share a little bit. And, uh, and then what happened? How did God reveal your calling to you? Yeah. Yeah, and you're exactly right. I was, um, I was highly irritable every time I was preparing. I'd, um, really short, you know. <clears throat> with people and um on a trip back to i think it was actually the same time when you talked about we weren't at freeway it was the first time we went back home to donovan and it was the first freeway service that we missed and and for since it began you know or since we started attending and um and i had a chance to go back and um, visit my family back home um, and so when we were there um i was just you know kind of catching up with my family you know trying to make amends for the past and things like that. And had a conversation with my um, with my my grandma that didn't um, really go too well at the time. She had um, made some comments just about her life and Christianity, and, and I was um, just pretty bold with the truth, and I uh, just kind of questioned some of the things and, you know, just the, the fruit of just Christianity. And, um, and she got pretty upset with me and, and made a statement that, you know, that I wasn't going to preach to her. And, um, and just under conviction, you know, I, I just said that that's what I've been called to do. I'm going to preach wherever I go. And uh, you know, I think that was just, you know, not something that I set out to do through that trip or um, even a conversation that I had even planned. But just under just deep conviction, just by being in the presence of the word and just examining what it means to, to belong to him. 
um, that it just kind of revealed itself through that conversation that I was called to preach the Word of God because I was not sure of anything else. I was not convicted as much by anything else. Yeah. So then you came back to me and you said, you told me that story. Mm -hmm. And God used those words uh, to speak to you. You, are, I'm, you said, I'm not going to stop because God called me to preach. <laughs> you know, isn't that cool? Yeah. God Amen. took them words like a spear, man, and he pierced your heart with it. That's right. And uh, he told you, no, you yeah. are called, knucklehead. I still got sick for a while, though, after that. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was, it's different having a conviction. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you you know, you got a better job. You're, you're working with Rick Lechner, who's a co-founder. Mm -hmm. uh, he got you a job. Uh, you're working there. Uh, he gets called um, in 2013, something. something like that. I think seven years ago, six years ago, and goes to goes to Omaha, and then you take over his his position, mm -hmm. um, and then so the process of time, us at Freeway for seven, six, seven years, we were in a hot, dirty gym. Mm -hmm. uh, there would be bats and rats, uh, hot in the summer, cold in the winter, uh, the kitchen breaking down all the time uh you know hundreds of people there bathrooms don't work i mean it was a nightmare so we're inside of a building right now you can't see by watching on the video but we're in an old bowling alley that was remodeled we brought it back up to code but we bought this building it uh it was um condemned mm -hmm. two years before we bought it so we we uh we felt led to find a building and we we didn't have enough money to put dumpsters in the back to demo it. Uh, but we, we, we got somebody to loan us some money. We bought this place. And um, and I don't know anything about construction at all, and you know that. I'm not a builder, carpenter, mechanic, any of that stuff. Like guy stuff, I'm not good at that stuff. I can cook. <laughs> you know, I can clean. And I was raised by a single mom personally. But So we, we get this building, and uh, it was time for us to hire uh, a staff person. Mm -hmm. And... Um, I talked to the board about you and uh, and asked you, to, your number one responsibility is to tend to this building. Mm -hmm. Help me get this building going. So talk about that, the phone call. Uh, you know, the phone, I don't remember if I called you or if mm -hmm. I don't, I honestly, I just don't remember if I called you or I asked mm -hmm. you face to face. But so that transition to uh, working at that diesel uh mm -hmm. Trans transportation company, oil transportation company, to, to now you're coming here. Yeah. What was that like? Well, uh, it's something that God had been working on mine and Jessica's hearts for a little time. We'd gone on uh, a few mission trips to Mexico and, um, and, and just really kind of weighing out what life as ministry would look like because we were both working full time but serving in ministry through Freeway every opportunity we had. And um, as a result of going on those mission trips, I think God really revealed to us that um, because we were willing to do what was ever was asked, but were we willing to leave everything? Were we willing to uproot and just go start over or whatever was required? Were we willing to do whatever was asked? And I think through the process of, of those trips and a few other conversations, we kind of got to the point where we agreed we were. And so I... I believe I spoke with you about it, um, Paul um, Schaefer, who's a missions pastor at Crossway, and just and just told him to be praying and asking for advice and counsel on what it looked like, you know, to, to, to step into full-time ministry. We didn't know what that looked like. 
and and just shortly through that process, I don't I don't remember if it was you or Paul that maybe mentioned it or maybe you two had spoke on it but um, presented that to us and and for us we were kind of already at at a point where we, we felt God was calling us into that a direction we didn't know which one but it just seemed like we were convinced that that was the next step for us yeah yeah and so uh, you come on board yes into a nightmare right it was tough <laughs> it, yeah it was hard uh, yeah. because demo in this building we we're in the mm -hmm. middle of demoing and i don't have a demo clue uh you know i would come with a with a bucket and hammer and we had bowling the the sanctuary floor was was actually in old bowling lanes and all the wood was there and we had to figure out how to get all that done and and uh demo the building we we didn't have you know hardly any financial support to do it and yeah. uh so then you come into here, mm -hmm. and then you're you know you're 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 doing that job. So what was that like? That was overwhelming. Yeah, consistently. Yeah, because there's codes, there's you know rules that um, I don't know if um, anybody could know all the rules you know that we had to operate within. We had to pass codes. Um, a lot of like you said, we were, uh, had a fine, a really um, fine budget. So a lot of volunteer work, and just learning to kind of you know how to kind of lead volunteers that it's different than paid employees because you can put a little bit of pressure on paid employees volunteers you're you're at their disposal and it, it was a different element for me because i was leading the shop at, at southwest fleet out in Halltown, like you said and, and so i was you know accustomed to that but, um, but it was a whole different element and um, so there's long hours um, my wife was super through this you know um, just just patient with me you know sacrificing a lot of our family time for that and um and and just a lot of prayer you know i think that that's one thing that's consistent in my life is um and it's just as paul said you know um, he would rather boast in, the, in his weakness so that god might be glorified you know through that and um and so i was continuing at that place where i understood that my my qualities and abilities were limited and 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 not what was required and so just that desperation you know and just that constant place of being dependent on him, he would show up, you know, in, in ways that um, was unimaginable because we had people just coming out of nowhere with just the right supply donations or the right labor donation through the different churches and members and just friends of Freeway just showing up consistently at just the right time. And it was just a huge faith builder for me just um, on just how big our God is and how into every specific detail he was. Because there's really no reason we should have had this place done, you know, in the time we did. We missed our deadline by a couple months, but just to, just to be able to get it done when we did. And, and it's a nice building. It's not just, you know, thrown together, but, you know, it, it's, it's a solid structure. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, that was your first taste of full-time ministry. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, welcome to ministry, right? Yeah. Doing whatever y you can do. And so uh, whatever you're asked to do, and you did that well. You did a great job, and uh, we 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 got the building going, and so now we're up. We we, we brought a building to code that was built in 1950. It's 2021, 2000, 2018 when we bought it. 2019, I think, when we finally got it open, was it mm -hmm. 2019? And so, then we we begin services. You're in ministry now. Let's kind of we back where we were. We kind of we jumped into this, and we stopped talking about Hannah and Sarah, your daughters. So let's kind of transition in the process of this. Uh, Sarah and Hannah had been down here before. 
uh, Hannah had flaked out. Uh, they had they had came into a uh, they had come into addiction and crime. Mm-hmm. They followed in your footsteps. Yes. You want to talk a little bit about that process? Yeah, yeah. So we'd kind of gotten to where they'd come to be a part of our lives, and um, and we were celebrating that, you know, with the church, um, and uh, and they realized that it was more than what they signed up for. That they weren't ready for that level of surrender, and they left, and they crushed us, you know, as a family, as my family here, my blended family here. We were devastated, and um, and we just learned to praise God through a broken heart through that because God was faithful and God was working on them still. And we just um, had to learn. We didn't chase them down. We didn't try to convince them of anything. We just, um, we just with a broken heart, we turned them over to God and said, thank you for the opportunity to be a family to them. Thank you that we were able to share mm-hmm. the best of our life. And for, for my entire life, for 33 years, I had nothing good to share with them. And finally, I did have that opportunity to share. And Jessica also and our kids and the church. We poured 100% of our best into them, and then when they rejected it, we, we just had to turn them back over to God, and so they went back into addiction, and um, our oldest daughter, Hannah, um, just through partying, um, got pregnant with um, Miles, my grandson now, and um, my youngest, younger daughter, Sarah, same lifestyle, just brokenness. My older daughter, Hannah, she's just thrown from a vehicle that was moving, you know, um, chipped her tooth, um, just total chaos. You know, just the same life. And so, yeah. And so, Hannah, I'm going to be honest here uh, with you. Mm-hmm. I thought Hannah would be the one that didn't make it. Mm. <laughs> I'll be, you know, I tell her that sure. if she was in this room. Mm-hmm. I thought Sarah mm-hmm. was the one that was serious, and Hannah was just playing games. Yeah. And then ended up, now Hannah shows up at your house. Yeah. Was Hannah and Sarah together, and Sarah left, or was it? Yeah, they left, and um, and they came back, and they left again. And so we were um, – Sarah, I guess, had gotten pregnant, and we had agreed to let her come stay with us and because um, she had a falling out with um, Oliver's, my second grandson, his um, father. And Hannah was trying to come stay with us also because she life was just not working out Donovan back in our hometown where she went and but we were not going to let Hannah come stay with us this time because just the hurt and the pain that she caused with our other kids and I was just blaming Alyssa and so I was going to protect my family and not let her be a part of that um, but we were trying to help her transition to a place in the Springfield area where right. she could get help and, and, and none of the doors would open <laughs> nothing nothing we tried and we were exhausting every resource we could find and then uh, the week that Sarah the younger daughter was going to give birth to Oliver. Lizzie came to be part of that, um, the birth, and brought Hannah here and just left her here basically on our doorstep. And um, so now we're kind of stuck <laughs> with Hannah here um, unplanned. And it was just a, a, a lot happened in a short amount of time. My two grandsons were born, um, Titus and Oliver, exactly a week apart at the same hospital. Um, Sarah gave birth to Oliver a week before, and um, Oliver's dad came from Alabama, and she hopped in a vehicle with him and left. And so there's another broken heart, another abandonment of commitments and plans. And then Hannah was at our house because she got dropped off there. And she was actually supposed to give birth to a a daughter a couple months later, but gave birth to a a son 
a week later, Titus. And, and so now we just took Hannah in. And like you said, we weren't expecting it. But something happened. Got, got a hold of her. Something happened, and she surrendered her life. Amen. And she started attending church. She was faithful. My wife, Jessica, discipled her. And, um, and her Titus's father was in prison at the time. And so we started setting boundaries. Like, you can't just talk to him. You can yeah. write him letters, and he can write you letters, and, you know, this many times a, w- a month. And, um, and we put boundaries on that, you know. And she didn't like it, but she complied. And through the process of that, she, she learned to set healthy boundaries in her life. And um, we were preparing her to have a healthy marriage. That's amazing. I was there, mm-hmm. and, you know, I seen all of it. And then, you know, it's just conversation here, but he, he got out of prison. Mm-hmm. And he had to ask you, what do I need to do? Yeah. And we, you know, we as, you know, it's kind of a you, me, he, and she, we're all together, tribe, mm-hmm. you know, sure. kind of come together. And you're, you you told him, and correct me where I'm wrong, cause, but he had to go to another recovery program. He wanted mm-hmm. to come to Freeway. Sure. So your job now is the director of the men's discipleship homes. Mm-hmm. And so you're over the Springfield, Marshville area. Uh, you've got two men's homes here, mm-hmm. uh, men's home in Ash, uh, Marshfield mm-hmm. that holds 16 men max, nine men in one home here, four men and four or five men in the other one, and then a two second stage homes now. And Correct. so your job, uh, you're overseeing the job that I used to have. Mm-hmm. It was my part of my job was that and evangelism and fundraising and uh, directing and so now I that got so overwhelming where I we put you in position once the building was done to do mm-hmm. that job so now you have that job so he wants to move to the men's home right correct mm-hmm. from prison yes so you had to tell him no way that's right it's not happening yeah and so he had to he had some some strings to go through mm-hmm. this man yeah so and that's exactly what we said not we said not only did he need to go to a different program he needed to go to a different church um and most programs are set up where they have a part in church that they attend. Um, and so he didn't like it. Of course, he'd, um, he had a, a jail house conversion like a lot of men do. Um, whether it was genuine or not, who knows, until they walk it out for some time. Right. And so Hannah was in the process of being discipled and developing her foundation. And so we told him he needed to respect that and let her develop her foundation on her own and he'll develop his on his own. And I told him I would be willing to walk him through it if he would let me guide him. Amen. And so he went to a different um, ministry that was um, was pretty off the off off the chain. A lot of stuff going on in the house, and he just learned to be faithful through all that chaos, the same way I did whenever I came to Springfield. And um, and then he allowed me to begin to disciple him. So we would move, go over the material, and he would share. And he respected the boundaries. You know, they weren't allowed to to. Um, to be at the same place for a time. He had to honor, he had to complete his commitment to his program, which he did. He had to um, um, call at specific times during the week. Um, he he really met the challenge, you know, and uh, allowed another man to, to, to help him to see what healthy boundaries, healthy relationships look like. And we developed an excellent relationship with <coughs> that. And, um, and we're still part of his life today. Yeah. We're still growing. And so you discipled him. Your wife discipled Hannah. He he put, he put had some skin in the game. Mm-hmm. 
you know, the only way you can tell if somebody is serious if you if is if you invest the one thing they can't trade for drugs and alcohol, which is instructions. So we invest instructions, and our return on our investment is 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 their obedience. Yeah. So that's how we tell. That's the way we work things out here. And um, and you did that with him, mm-hmm. and he did everything. Yeah. I love that guy. Yeah. I do too. Yeah. He's he. You know. He's the keeper. And I'm gonna try not to cry, but. Uh, he, you know, he's, he loves you like a dad, and he said that to you up there on that stage whenever he graduated his discipleship, yeah. and uh, that that made me and Charlotte cry, hmm. and because uh, I remember meeting him on the Fourth of July in Marshville, yeah, and uh, he wasn't <laughs> the same guy, no, you know, but now he's married. Mm-hmm. You married him and Hannah, yeah, and they're serving. They're in the bus ministry, yeah. right? Yeah. So they drive buses for freeway yeah. and pick people up, just like you used to do. That's amazing. That's the power of God because I remember <laughs> sitting in a jail cell in 2009 trying to tell my daughter Hannah how to live her life from a jail cell on a phone that I had to reach through the bars to pick up and then call collect. I couldn't even pay for the call. And she threw the phone down because I told her I was disappointed in her. And my younger daughter picked up the phone and said, Dad, we're disappointed in you and hung up the phone. And that was part of that process of just really coming to terms with what I'm, I'm uh, living this life for. You know, I'm sacrificing all these things for what? For selfishness. And I remember thinking that my best idea of what success looked like in that family was just being able to have a normal conversation on a phone call. And God blew that out of the water by being able to just to come to Springfield and leave them in a hard situation and work on my own foundation, work on my faith, work on my obedience. God brought it to a place where I was able to walk them, you know, down the aisle and marry them to each other. My wife discipled her. I discipled him. We were there for the, you know, every part of their life, every landmark. And, um, and this is just the beginning. We have grandsons that are attending the church that we attend. You know, they're in the bus ministry. They're um, living a life that wasn't even imaginable before. Yeah, and he's, you know, he's a man of integrity, mm-hmm. honesty, hard worker. I mean, you couldn't ask for a better son-in-law. Yeah. And so, you know, God's blessed you. Uh, you know, Sarah has not come to that place yet, right? as far as I know. I may be wrong today, but, uh, you know, and when we talk about people and different things like this, you know, that don't haven't made it yet, God's not done with none of no one right. till the end. We don't know, you know, what's going to happen. Uh, we're not better than anyone else. We are one dumb decision away from a relapse today. Right. And we, we realize that we are weak and we are frail. And so, uh, and we depend on God and his grace to, to give us strength today. But, and so, so now here you are, uh, you know, you're called to preach, you're in ministry. I got a little list I'm kind of, mm-hmm. I'm kind of looking at here. Just, um, so now you're overseeing the men's homes. Mm-hmm. Good grief. Yeah. What a job. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Uh, how, what's that transition been like? Oh, that's, it's overwhelming (laughs) each step seems to be that way um but i think it's that's probably where i'm most passionate about ministry is one-on-one with the men's lives getting to know them just seeing the life change um just just like that bus ministry learning to say no and just learning um rejection all that prepared me you know for the next step i didn't see it at the time um with the situation with my daughters, you know, having to turn people back over to God, that prepared me for this. I didn't see it at the time. 
Um, but that's what this ministry looks like. You know, we're we're taking high risk men that have not they've been educated in how to live a life opposed to God, opposed to law. You know, total rebellion, and um, and just learning to try to bring that into obedience through church involvement, through reading their Bibles, through discipleship, and um, serving. Serving, yeah, serving the community through outreaches, through um, our um, going out to apartment complexes, um, engaging the people right where they're at, right where they live. And um, and so through the process, you just learn, you know, wisdom, discernment, and, um, and to challenge men, like, you, you know, just with Ocean, we give them instructions, and we give them an opportunity to be obedient to that. And if they can do that, then we take the next step with them. And if they decide that it's not for them, then we try to point them in the right direction or, you know, hopefully, you know, um, take them to scripture and there'll be a repentant heart. But, but at the end of the day, if they decide it's not for them, it's not personal for me. And I had to learn to get to that place where, where if they succeed, it's to the glory of God. If, if, if they, if they don't succeed, it's still to the glory of God. You know, he's, he's given us the opportunity to pour in to people and um, 100%, just like I did my daughters, and, and it's up to them what they do with that. But it's um, as far as a change heart, that's God's business. You know, that's not something I can force on anybody or take responsibility for. Um, but just training up men to become leaders is incredible. I've had men like, you know, Joe Walters that was got out of prison before I did from OCC, went to the halfway house that I was at, <coughs> and decided that he wasn't done with that lifestyle. And through the process of time, he came back to the freeway doors and decided he wasn't ready. And then he came back again and asked again our men's house. And I was <coughs> just challenged him, you know, what's different this time? You know, what's your motives? And, um, and just um, really challenged him, and, but walked him through it also. And he came to a place where he was surrendered and, and willing to receive godly instruction. And he became one of our best house leaders, you know, dependable, faithful. And, um, and I just can't express how meaningful that is in my life you know just to be able to train up men and just to think about all the lives that he's going to impact you know for the kingdom it's phenomenal yeah it's uh you know that was one of the hardest things for me to turn over yeah because i was doing that for years you Mm -hmm. know and it got to the point for me preparing preaching uh organizing fundraising uh, and overseeing the men's houses together was just too much. Um, and I didn't know anybody else, honestly, I would ever trust to take that. Mm-hmm. And still it's hard for me not to get involved in it, not yeah. to try to, you know, jump in. Right. But, you you know, my heart was I could not give that ministry the attention it needed uh, it, and do the job that I really would like to see done. And you've done a great job of that. Thank and you. I appreciate that, man, because – you know, I say this to my, you know, to just to be honest is the structure need we needed more structure. And uh, the only way structure works is if someone will hold the structure accountable mm-hmm. and you got to have that time. Yeah, It just it's too much. And so for me, I was either going to find someone to do that job or die. <laughs> and so yeah. you uh, you've come along and helped that in a mighty way. And it's it's just been great. And so seeing the men, investing in the men, there's some high-pressured situations, you know, we, you come into dealing with that. Uh, you know, when someone, when someone uh, gets caught in sin in the church, 
I'm not talking about exposed publicly, but just, you know, the Bible says in numbers that your sin will be sure your sin will find you out. Mm -hmm. And so say so-and-so gets, you know, there's, if they're really involved in church and something happens in their church leaders, their Sunday school class or teacher, they find out about it, you know, they work through it. But our program, mm -hmm. if you get caught up in a situation, that's a golden rule for us, you know, you relapse, mm -hmm. you drink, you get high, you, uh, you know, you don't come home at night when you're supposed to come home. Something that is a golden rule for us. Right. You know, we, we are not just slapping your hand. You get kicked out. Yeah. You know, uh, how was that for you at first as we walked through that together and you, and then you had to do it on your own, right? Yeah. You're, right. you're, you're packing them up. You're making sure they got a, you know, yeah. a dirty UA, a yeah. urinalysis, a drug test. Sure. You know, what was that like for you? Well, whenever I was shadowing you, it was, it was uncomfortable. But whenever I was in a position to do it on my own, you wear that to bed with you. You wake up with it. Yep. You carry it for weeks, you know. And I don't ever want to get to the place in my life where that's where I'm used to that, because we want to see every man succeed. Um, but we also learn that um, that. God knows what's necessary in each man's life. He knows what's necessary for that man to lay down. He knows what it's necessary for that man to understand how weak he is in his own flesh. Um, but, but, I mean, we've had to pack up several men before and drop them off at the mission, at, at detox, at, at the, you know, Walmart parking lot. Yeah. Um, it's, it's not <coughs> what we view as success, but we have to look at it as a necessary next step for that person. So we say that we can, we're willing to walk with any man, but you know, scripture says, how can two walk together unless they be in agreement? So if they decide that the program that they want is their program and not the freeway program, then we turn them over to that program. We're no longer walking together, but as long as they're willing to be corrected, as long as it, and we always offer a way back in, right. you know, if they relapse, Matthew 18. that's it. Yeah. Restoration. That's it. That, that is the whole, purpose of it is just to bring that place where we finally get past that crossroads and I look at it like that each man's going to be at a crossroad multiple points in his life and we're able to walk through some of those crossroads with them they're going to go away that they've always gone before and end up with the same result they've had or they're going to allow us to walk with them down a road they've never been down before they're going to be vulnerable uncomfortable scared and um and just clinging on to nothing but just hope that God's word is true and it's going to be real for them and through the process of this, we grow our faith. I'm growing in this. I know you're still growing in this. We're still facing first-time challenges that we didn't oh, yeah. even see coming. Yeah, here's a new one. Yeah. That's always a conversation. <laughs> here's a new one. We got a new one. And uh, that means a new situation. And uh, yeah. it happens all the time. Yeah. It's exciting, isn't it? It's, it is exciting. And it, and it affects our whole family because our family is walking through this with us. Our kids are learning about ministry firsthand. Our wives are... They're neck deep in it. They feel it too. You know, they're carrying it around with them. And, and so it, it's a wonderful thing. I mean, and that's why the church is so vital. Nobody could do this alone. There's nobody could develop a, a, I mean, it's when I was, uh, I was in jail and prison, I was reading the Bible and I knew it was true. I had no idea how to live that out day to day. Not a clue. I had to have people walk me through those steps. It, it's, you cannot do it without people that are willing to get their hands dirty and their hearts broken. There's no other way. And then people die, and you have to look at their mom who paid their way in the program at the funeral. 
you know, and you feel like, and then their kids are there, and their dad's dead, mm-hmm. you know, like, you know, we, I don't want to mention names, but we've dealt with this several times. Yeah. Uh, you know, lots of people have not made it, and the only way you can get to the victories is if you go through those heartbreaking moments. Uh, you know, I have pastors say, man, I wish I had some of them good stories you use when you preach. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, <laughs> the yeah. reason they don't have good stories yeah. is because they're not on the limb. Mm-hmm. They're not gambling. They're not, when I mean gambling, I don't mean going down to the casino. I mean, they're not, they're not taking a risk. And right. they're not, you know, it's, you, we're not two people. We're only one person. Mm-hmm. And so you have to be all in. This is our life. This is who we are, uh, you know. This is this is my, our kids are involved, mm-hmm. our wives are involved, our homes are involved. Our, we don't punch the clock, right. you know. It's 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 who we are, and and so it's amazing uh, doing life with you, brother, mm. and and you know, strapping up and putting our armor on every day and living that life. The Bible says, Second Timothy chapter two, Paul says, uh, a good a soldier, a good soldier doesn't entangle himself in the affairs of this world that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And, uh, you know, we can't get entangled in stuff of this world. We have to be invested totally in this uh, and and walking with God and making disciples. And, and, you know, we've seen some wonderful things. People are being called into ministry. God is using the ministry in a mighty way. But there are also the defeats and the hardships. And so uh, just a couple couple things just to, to three things and i'll close here but i just want to ask are you happy casey merrick i'm happy and i'm learning to be happy yeah it's um some things catch you off guard in ministry sometimes last year was a, a doozy for me and my family because um we were ministry 24 hours like you said um, we woke up to it we went to bed in it um but i think i let some idols creep into my life um Ministry can be an idol. Marriage can be an idol. Parenting can be an idol. And I think that's what happened to me. And so through, you know, COVID outbreak and a lot of time at home alone, um, (coughs) I was forced to look in the mirror of God's word. And I was also forced to look in the mirror of, you know, my personal daily choices as far as how I was taking care of my body and, you know, my soul. And, um, you know, I believe it's Jonah 2.8 that says, those who cling to worthless idols forsake the tender affections of God. And I saw myself in that. Um, I wanted to be a good husband. I wanted to be a good employee. I wanted to be a good father. But I didn't necessarily want to glorify God in those areas. And, um, and I had to repent of that. Yeah. I was um, really operating out of my flesh a lot. I was, you know, really at the end of myself a lot, bitter a lot in, in ministry and seeing lives change. And, and, you know, God was still using me, but, but I wasn't happy in him like I should have been, like I could have been. And so just kind of cha- making those little subtle changes, like not wanting necessarily to be good employee or good husband, but really wanting to glorify God in those areas. I didn't have the expectation on it, like this is, this is what I'm going to get in return for this. That was off the table now. And what was put in its place was a dependency on God. I got that dependency back on him. Like if I'm going to glorify you in this, you're going to have to give me what's necessary to accomplish this. Because I can't accomplish, I cannot glorify you out of my merits, out of my abilities, out of my strength. I need your Holy Spirit to work through me to give me the fruit and the gifts that are necessary to glorify you. And when I got that dependency back, I began to get my joy back. 
but mm-hmm. I'm still learning. Like there's so much brokenness from childhood and so many apprehensions and relationships, so many insecurities that are still under the surface that I'm working through and just learning what it really means to be adopted, you know, to be given that spirit of adoption by which we cry, Abba, Father, yeah. just really learning to embrace that is that's a, something that I'm going through now still yet. So um, I'm learning to be happy in him, but it's a, it's a journey. Amen. And it is, and you know, joy doesn't depend on circumstances. Adrian Rogers says happiness isn't joy. Happiness depends on what happens. You know, joy is deep. It's, you know, from Christ, and sometimes you don't feel happy when you have joy. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes, you know, you have hardships, and if I if I go home today and my house burnt down and my family was dead, I would not be happy, mm. you know. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know, there would not be happiness in that. But at the end of the day, I would hope and pray that that would never happen to me, Lord, please. <laughs> the second thing <laughs> is that I would be able to worship the Lord even yeah. though, you know, um, so today, what brings you joy, Casey? And then is there anything you would like to end the listeners, someone listening today, uh, something maybe people you would like them to know uh, before we close? So what brings me joy is, I mean, it's just it's just serving God. I mean, you can just kind of fill in what that means in a lot of ways, but just um, – just really allowing him to be part of those different areas of my life, my marriage, my parenting, and my ministry, relationships. Um, that's, it's, it's all about people. At the end of the day, it's all about people. It's all about souls. It's all about investing and, and just making that available, getting outside of our comfort zone. That's where the biggest area of our ministry is going to be. Our greatest impact is going to be one step beyond our comfort zone. And just um, to continue to live there, that's where the joy is. That's where the fruit is. Um, If I could give um, a bit of advice to people out there, it's don't give up. Don't stop. Um, The breakthrough happens right at the breaking point. And the breaking point is where so many people just stop. And they're right there. They're just one or two steps away from the biggest breakthrough of their life if they would just push on, you know. In Ephesians 6, where it talks about, you know, taking on the armor of God, you know, equipping ourselves, we, we get ready for battle. And there's so many people that do that, but that it says, now having done all, to stand. And that's the part that so many people forget about or just fail to do. You just stand. Persevere means to stand and continue to stand. Never stop standing. And if they would just wait it out, if they would just press through this hardship, and that's where the breakthrough is going to come. And that's where the maturity comes. That's where the endurance comes. That's where the, the character comes. That's where the life lessons that you're talking about, the testimonies come. It's all right there if we'll just hold out just a little bit longer. Wait Amen. on the Lord. Amen. Yeah. It's beautiful. You know, and there's a scripture in Colossians 1. I just want to close with the scripture. one twenty one. It says, And you were once alienated and hostile or enemies in your own mind. Doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy, blameless, and above reproach before him or in his sight. And, you know, uh, that's the beautiful thing about that broken life. You know, before him, that insecurity, Mm. we're presented holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Uh, And sometimes, you know, we get to beating ourselves up about our past and, 
you deal with the, you know, the shame and the guilt. You can't unthink things, and you can't forget some things, and some memories come back to you no matter what. But you, you know, when you come from our past, kind of like active combat vet, you know, you hmm. you just think about those things flash through your mind, those those memories and things that happen. But you know, we can rest in Him today. And so, thank you for joining us, Casey. Thank you for being with us yeah, in One Broken Life. And we look forward to continuing to share stories of what God can do with broken people.